This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a COVID-19 vaccine is approved and on its way, but state health officials warn of a hospital system under duress as coronavirus cases and hospitalizations continue to soar. Then, with outbreaks in long-term care facilities growing, we explore the factors leading to transmission in the state's nursing homes. Plus, the enrollment period for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act ends tomorrow. We examine how residents can qualify and apply for coverage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Frontline healthcare workers in Mississippi could begin receiving the coronavirus vaccine today. After approval for emergency use by the Food and Drug Administration, 25,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine is expected to arrive in the state and will be delivered to select Mississippi hospitals. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says supplies are limited and hospitals will decide which healthcare workers will receive the vaccination. We're not getting a lot of vaccine. It's going to be um, priority for those healthcare workers who are in hospital settings, who are the frontline folks, who are taking care of the patients. And so, you know, we're working to get an allocation to every hospital. Now, we have worked individually with hospitals to sort of set up an allocation with each one of them, but um, what we're finding is that the um, the actual allocations are variable and subject to change. And so we may have to make some modifications to the timing um, and the type of vaccine that um, some hospitals will be receiving for their first distribution. We, our staff downstairs in immunization is actively reaching out to those hospitals now to let those hospitals know Um, the ones that may have a modification, to be aware of that. Um, But we do anticipate that uh, every hospital is going to get some doses to begin with, with an understanding that it's not going to be enough. As the vaccine arrives, so does some skepticism. Polls indicate anywhere between 20 and 30 percent of Americans say they are unlikely to get the vaccine. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the case file from the clinical studies suggests the Pfizer vaccine has similar side effects to the modern shingles vaccine. I would so much rather have the vaccine than COVID, like a thousand million times more. Talking this week to a healthcare professional who was reluctant, uh, and I said, well, you're going to take a chance either with COVID or you're going to take a chance with the vaccine. And I'm going to take my chances with the vaccine. That's what I told him. And the chances look great with the vaccine. There's no no free lunch here. There's no path that doesn't have risk. Don't take it. You take risk, take it. There's some risk. But as you just said, the risk is very, very modest. Right. right. And it should be transient, you know, of the the sort of, it's like, I think it's like a shingles vaccine. Mm -hmm. Looking at this, it looks like the the, the, um, profile of, you know, inflammatory symptoms after the shot is very similar to the shingles vaccine. 
While health officials find hope in a vaccine, they also caution there will not be enough of it in the next few months to have any impacts on the greater population. Meanwhile, COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations continue to soar. Dobbs says hospitals are reaching a point where overnight elective procedures are utilizing too many resources. The hospitals are full and we have very strong data, you know, pretty much irrefutable data that elective procedures that require overnight hospitalizations do utilize resources. They use up beds, they use up floor beds and they use up ICU beds. Um, And we've tried and waited and I think hospitals have here and there done a pretty good job balancing it, but it hasn't been um, enough. and it will it won't ever be really enough because the trick is is to turn off the faucet, not to get more mops, right? Um, and we haven't really turned off the faucet. To address the surge in hospitalizations and critical care need, health officials are enacting a crisis operations plan that will oversee certain hospital transfers. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs has signed a public health order effective yesterday that requires Tier 1 through 3 hospitals to make room for patients requiring care. When, when you get to where you can't take any more, you just got to take a little bit more. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing um, is, is if, you're, if your hospital's full and someone shows up in your ER, you've got to take care of them. There's no choice. And, and, and you'll find a way, right? And we're kind of at that phase right, right now. Um, and so a, a little bit of an expansion of that is we're having a problem now with mostly people getting very sick at our tier four hospital level four hospitals, which don't have ICUs and they have nowhere to go. And that's just not okay. Right. And so um, we've been talking about this for a while. We've been talking with hospital folks and CMOs and stuff um, is putting together a rotational model where um, when you're full and everybody's full, then we're just going to take one for the team on a rotational basis. That way we sort of spread the, you know, spread, spread the angst a little bit. Um, you know, everybody could almost always just take one more, right? Even as difficult as it is versus, you know, having some of these sort of uneven sort of things. Um, so, but most, it's, it shouldn't be all that common because if we're talking about the level four hospitals, most of the pressure is going to be coming through your ER and the normal referral network. But we still can't have people, you know, we, we've had some adverse outcomes and we've had some deaths. The recent peak of cases and hospitalizations comes two months following the expiration of the statewide mask mandate. Since October, Governor Tate Reeves has implemented a targeted approach, but cases continue to rise and the strain on hospitals continues to worsen. Dobbs says there is a divide between how many people say they use their mask versus what the data indicates. Our experiences with masks is what people say they do and what people do are entirely different things. Mm Um, and so I don't think that that's a, that's a value that you can really depend upon um, because when we did a survey of people in their masks, guess what percentage of people said they wear a mask all the time? 75%? 98. <laughs> percent We have 98% mask use all the time. Amazing. We would not be talking about more than 2,000 cases yeah. every day. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I see it, you know, and, and like in the schools with the kids, you know, I mean, are they really... I don't know. I do. I do think it's a it's a it's a critical element in our prevention component. But as as a as a foundational method to to get out of quarantine, or, or if you said, hey, if you say you wore a mask, you don't have to quarantine. What are you going to say if you're a kid? I wore a mask. I wore a mask. Yeah. yeah right. so. 
With transmission still widespread, health officials say it's still dangerous to consider holiday parties and gatherings. Right now, it's just dangerous, and we should limit risk as much as we can. Um, certainly, being outdoors is always better, but it is transmitted outdoors. We see that. So it, it happens. It's not perfect. Um, so, you know, the, the, the governor's executive order, and I'm, and I'm certainly very pleased about that, limited to 10 people for social gatherings um, indoors, which is great, right? So, and 10 people indoors. So it's, you know, and, 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 I, and I think, and I'm certain that the governor's was with, within the order when he had his different events. Um, uh, the flip side of that is, um, you know, what we see over and over again is in social events, our discipline is very poor. And so, I mean, right now we think it's the best thing to do is just to not have any social events at all, indoor or outdoor, just because it, it, the risk is just so, so high right now. Um, so, but the other thing is, is to keep, keep diligence in, in the workplace. And I'm having to come back to that because I'm hearing about people getting in the workplace now because they're back to work, they're taking their masks off, and they're getting exposed at work. Um, a couple other sort of um, rumors have resurfaced. So someone said something about our deaths aren't any higher than they've been, and I, I can't believe that's coming up again. Yeah. But our deaths are way up, up from 2019. They're like 5,000 more. It's like 20% increase in our overall mortality, and that's just so far. Coming up, with outbreaks in long-term care facilities growing, we explore the factors leading to transmission in the state's nursing homes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Coronavirus cases in Mississippi are continuing to surge, and the number of outbreaks in long-term care facilities are higher than ever before. Experts are calling on the community to minimize virus transmission, saying it's the best tool to reduce outbreaks inside nursing homes. But as MPB's Ashley Norwood reports, an employee inside a nursing home believes community transmission is only part of the problem. Marcia Smith works at a nursing home in Rankin County. She's been a licensed practical nurse for 20 years and has spent the bulk of her career working in long-term care facilities. There are people that need to be cared for. We know that somebody has no other options but to be where they are, so it's up to us to go in and help them do what they can't do. Smith says there's been a number of outbreaks inside the nursing home throughout the pandemic, including a current outbreak she says is straining their system. We've gone from having four to five CNAs per shift, basically, pre-pandemic, typically to two to three per shift. And when you're talking about 60 residents, that's a lot of changing, showering, feeding, trying to pass trays to, trying to, I mean, it's nonstop work and it just doesn't seem like it's coming to an end. Smith says healthcare workers are stressed and often overworked, especially when a colleague is out sick or quarantined. But what really concerns her, she says, is the lack of infection control among residents inside the nursing home. What I see is nothing. 
You're allowing the residents to go and do as they please. They're all in each other's rooms. They're outside smoking in each other's faces. They're sharing everything under the sun, the ones that are walking around, and those that are in their wheelchairs as well. According to guidelines mandated by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, in the event of an outbreak, nursing home leaders are to encourage residents to remain in their rooms. If they leave their room, residents should wear a face mask to cover their mouth and nose and stay at least six feet away from others. Smith says that hasn't been the case at her facility, and she believes this can't be an isolated situation. Very frustrated because you walk in and you feel like things that are just common sense that could be done are not being done. And you feel like the people that are being paid to care about all of this just don't. According to CMS, Mississippi ranks fifth in the nation for the average number of coronavirus cases among nursing home residents. The total number of outbreaks in long-term care facilities recently reached the 200 mark for the first time since the summer peak and is steadily increasing. In July, the Mississippi Department of Health reported that nearly 50 percent of all COVID-19-related deaths in the state occurred inside nursing homes. And experts believe the state could soon see that same level of deaths in these facilities again. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says some restrictions have loosened over the course of the pandemic. But as coronavirus transmission continues to escalate in Mississippi, he warns nursing home leaders not to let their guards down. I would encourage administrators to continue to stay the course on testing their employees, to continue to identify those employees that may be asymptomatically infected, that we can exclude from from the nursing home or the long-term care center before uh, transmission occurs. Researchers estimate that people who get infected with the coronavirus can spread it to others two to three days before symptoms start and are most contagious one to two days before they feel sick. Tony Hamrick is an administrator at Columbia Rehabilitation and Healthcare Center. He says the coronavirus can make its way into nursing homes even if you test workers two times a week as recommended. I know I was in the in the testing area last week and we had a couple of people that popped up positive and they felt fine. They were working that day, came in, no, they have no fevers, they have no complaints, no nothing. Yet when we ran their test, they were positive. So unfortunately, they were working COVID positive for those days that we didn't know it. And that's how it gets in. That's how it spreads. Hamrick, who's also president of the Mississippi Healthcare Association, says he's currently taking advantage of a free COVID-19 specialty training offered by the federal government to help mitigate spread inside facilities. Some facilities that have participated in the training are reporting fewer cases compared to those that have not. According to CMS, less than 15 percent of Mississippi's nursing homes have completed the training as of early November. Marcia Smith says this is her first time hearing about the training, but hopes the administrators at the nursing home where she works will soon prioritize it. With COVID-19 vaccines on the horizon, Smith believes that'll be the saving grace for many residents inside nursing homes. Until we get a vaccine and get the, not just get the vaccines, but get people vaccinated, this is what we're in right now. This this is what it's going to be until the actual vaccination occurs. State health officials expect vaccines will be available to health care workers and long-term care facilities by the end of the month. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. 
Coming up, the enrollment period for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act ends tomorrow. We examine how residents can qualify and apply for coverage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tomorrow is the deadline to enroll for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. This period, During this period, there are two insurance companies covering all 82 counties, Molina and Ambedder. Mississippi Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney says nearly 100,000 people have signed up for coverage on healthcare.gov and shares more how residents can enroll. If you've never had insurance in, uh, on the ACA, Go to the healthcare.gov and uh, just it's really self-explanatory. Create a login and a password and uh, fill out your form and go from there. It's fairly easy to do. You'll need your income and your social security number to do this. And it's uh, very secure, so feel free to put all of that information in. And it'll give you options. And you can even put in what drugs am I taking? What doctor am I seeing? And the different plans will tell you which doctors are in those plans. So you want to be certain to pick a plan that would cover your doctor that you are seeing at the present time and the drugs that you may be taking. In other words, if you're taking a drug for diabetes like metformin, you would want to be certain that it was covered. Can you get um, vision or dental insurance through the ACA? You can get dental and vision insurance through the uh, ACA, and many people like to buy dental and vision insurance, not so much from the fact that it uh, pays out so well, but because it forces them to at least uh, spend a few more dollars and save money for their normal dental checkups and for their eye checkups. So it's it's very worthwhile to uh, look at dental and vision in addition to a normal medical policy. Commissioner Cheney, tell us about the companies that represent Mississippi and the ACA. We have two companies that uh, market in all 82 counties on the ACA. That's Molina, which has added uh, um, 40 more counties this year. So they cover all 82 counties and um, and better, part of the Magnolia system. Uh, They both have different networks for the doctors. So what this does for the consumer that's shopping on the ACA, it allows them to look and see if they have a, a better choice of drug coverage or a doctor that they're seeing may not be in one plan, but it would be in the other. So they complement each other in, in what they offer to the consumer, and it gives the consumer some choices. If someone is employed, they get insurance through work, but they want to see if they can get a better policy or a better rate uh, through the Affordable Care Act. Can they do that? You can do that, but you can be penalized if your employer offers you uh, insurance at your workplace of employment. You as a consumer, if you leave there and go to the ACA, will not be penalized, but your employer may be penalized. So be careful if you have insurance with your employer 
about leaving them. Now, a lot of people will call and say, look, my employer only pays half of my premium, and I have to pay the other half, or uh, they pay all of mine but none of my spouse's. Can I go to the ACA? You certainly can, but somebody's going to be penalized for uh, leaving the private insurance market. If someone misses the deadline, the 15th, what does that mean? That When's the next enrollment period? So if you miss the deadline of December the 15th for enrollment by January 1, you still have to January 15 of 2021 to enroll for February 1, 2021. And that is a drop-dead date. Uh, and unless you have some type of circumstance that meets certain criteria established by the federal government, you cannot enroll or buy on the ACA after January the 15th unless uh, let's say you've been terminated from your job and you no longer have insurance, you're not eligible for COBRA, then you could buy on the ACA. Good information. Mike Cheney is Mississippi's insurance commissioner. Commissioner Cheney, thank you so much. You're quite welcome, Karen. For residents seeking assistance with enrollment, some community health organizations are providing resources and education. Maria Morris is with the Community Health Center's Association of Mississippi. She says her organization wants to help more patients get care earlier. I just take take maternity patients, for instance. Uh, If you will look at some of the stats, particularly with uh, patients that are coming in for prenatal care and when they actually come in, of course, we would like them to come in in the first trimesters, but when do we get them? Uh, late second trimesters and sometimes late uh, early third trimester. So we would like for them to come in for care and education in order to prevent some of the the uh, illnesses that they have to keep them from getting so uh, advanced and more traumatic as it relates to treatment and more costly. The other thing, too, that we stress is uh, access to care many times and the extensiveness of access to care many times has to do with your ability to pay. So we can help you get access to that uh, insurance plan, or even if you do not meet uh, eligible criteria for one the plan, to help establish those coordination of care with providers that we can link you to to get the services that you need, that you need some a helping hand with, with making sure that you get to the office, make sure that you are communicating with the providers, and then, too, you don't have you have the most pleasant experience when you're trying to go and navigate through the system. You're not insurance providers. You're, you're care providers, and you are meeting these people across the state where they are. What can you say about the state of health care in Mississippi and and why this particular act or other legislative efforts to expand health care are important right now? Um, of course, we, we are mindful of the, the Affordable Care Act for a number of our years, particularly around uh, the marketplaces that are under threat. But right now, um, as, as you look at uh, some of the demographics that we're looking at, heart disease, high blood pressure, and even with COVID, how it impacts uh, the more the minority, more so the uninsured, and then how they can leave you the tremendous field. It's just critical at this time that you can... If you can get access to coverage, you need to do it. The enrollment for the Affordable Care Act is coming to a close on December 15th. Uh, what guidance do you, you provide to people who either miss that deadline or aren't simply eligible uh, for the marketplace but need health care and are seeking health care of some sort? First of all, uh, don't count yourself out. Seek to, seek to, uh, to 
one of our counselors or who of your sources to de- to make a determination as to what your eligibility might be. Don't assume. Now, uh, when you're talking about a more extensive coverage, of course, you got Medicaid and CHIP. But when we're trying to put a comprehensive care plan together for someone who do not have services, of course, we reach out to local organizations. So there are innovative ways sometimes that can be put together to make sure that the person has access to care, either long-term or to piece it together through resources that are available depending upon the area where they stay, where they live, and the availability of funds at the time. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Maria Morris, the program coordinator for the Community Health Center Association of Mississippi. We appreciate and value the, the time you took to speak with us. Thank you. My pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.